No one's listening. <laughs> That's the spirit. What's that? <laughs> okay, so hello and welcome to episode seven. I have to check that. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's episode seven. Episode seven of End to End FM. Um, I am Ryan. I have with me Eddie. Hello. James. Hi. And VJ. Hello. Who is in his appearance on the end-to-end FM podcast. So welcome, VJ. Thank you. <laughs> um, so yeah, this this month. I was going to say a week, but we're not that efficient yet. Um, month is pushing it. Uh, this month we're going to talk a little bit about infrastructure. Um, we have covered this topic before um, in, a, in a previous podcast, but I think as with a lot of things, things change very quickly in this industry and, and we've been kind of at the forefront of that with some of our projects. Um, and this is a nice opportunity to reflect a little bit on what, what we've learned and maybe sort of just discuss the, the what infrastructure's been through um, in, in, well, in the past through to today. So I think, yeah, we thought we'd kick this off a little bit just about, yeah, what, where did we, st- what's people's experiences with infrastructure being like, mm. or, or deployment specifically on, on DevOps as well. So like way back when, who can remember, what was the first thing you ever deployed to a, and how did you do that? So that must have been, well, I don't know, does GeoCities count? I actually don't remember the <laughs> interface for something like GeoCities. I'm guessing you are. It was, it was, yeah, was web based. I, yeah. I, think, I don't think you actually ended up FTPing anything. Well, maybe you did. Mm, no, I don't think you did. I imagine there was a bit of copy and paste on the go, so I'm not sure. Or maybe. Some dragging and dropping. I can remember like configuring, it must have been front page or something to FTP to a free hosting mm. back, back in the day. I think, think just think about it to mine at university. I think I had a shared hosting and was using FileZilla just to FTP. Yeah, FileZilla was a, that was a FTP files over. I can't remember anything else. <laughs> certainly wasn't anything smarter than that <laughs> at the time. So the thing is, VJ is so young that his first deployment was with Docker. <laughs> <laughs> Kubernetes cluster. I haven't actually heard of GeoCity, so... Oh my God. <laughs> I actually haven't heard of either. So that's made me feel really... <laughs> but, um, GeoCities was ubiquitous. It was just the way you did your website. It was free by Yahoo. Yahoo. Oh, okay. For, like, what's Yahoo? <laughs> <laughs> For me, it was um, my A-level project. We used well, I used FTP to upload some code igniter projects that I'd done for that. Yeah. That was quite a time ago. That was just simple files and sort of things. So, yeah. yeah. So I mean, that that does the well. I think that's one of the common kind of style points for a lot of us, and it has changed a lot. Um, I think in the context of, of maybe professional work or project work beyond FTP um, and sort of getting environments set up, I think, what else have we... I mean, my pro- very first professional role straight out of university was still using FTP, yeah. so I, I don't think it's 
fair to say that everyone is going to be maybe moved on to some of the things which we might talk about in a bit. Yeah. Some of the sort of more powerful techniques. I think sometimes we forget um, we may be in a bit of minority. People who actually make websites to yeah. do some of these sort of newer, best kind of practices. But um, when, when I joined this company, we were using Capistrano pretty much across the board. Um, which is a Ruby-based deployment tool, which is basically where my uh, knowledge sort of caps out a little bit there. But uh, essentially, it's a wrapper around... I'm waiting for VJ to shake his head at me from across the table. <laughs> I think it's kind of going to SSH in. You, you define your targets. It handles um, SSHing in and then cloning... The source code via Git to those targets. Although now that I say that, I think it might be the other way around. <laughs> that it clones them on your local and then uh, SCPs them. Over. Pushes them up. I don't know. Or maybe you can do either. I, yeah. I don't know. Maybe it does give you that kind of flexibility. I, I think we've done both before. Yeah. Because I, I do remember we did, we did used to build like the web app and well, kind of front end dependencies on our instances instead of locally. Um, as part of the deployment. Yes, we certainly have done that, actually, and that was a, a bit of a pain point, especially when NPM wasn't quite... I mean, I've had NPM problems literally today. <laughs> I was about to say, now it's now that it's stable, it's no longer a problem. But uh, when it was even less stable, um, it would cause us quite a bit of pain. Um, yeah, I mean, I think you touched on this very interesting point, because I think, like, yeah, no one's doing, or no one's advancing this technology just for, for, the, for the hell of it and different approaches. It's generally, like, the need of, of, of a project, the troubles that you get with a particular project and a specific set of needs, and, like, yes, FTP could probably still work for some very basic uh, things, but when uh, projects or complexity grows, challenge, you have to solve those with different different approaches, and you touched on a few points there, some of the failings with 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 Capistrano and how we had to move away from that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, some some of the some of the points off the top of my head that I can remember is is um, well, a personal example for us, which might not apply to to many people. We had a project, we have a project where we're installing multiple deployments to a single instance, and some of those deployments. <coughs> The front end <coughs> were a little bit unreliable <laughs> to install the dependencies. And they real well. cops. I was going to say, <laughs> yeah, yeah. slightly passive aggressive cops. Um, <laughs> that was more of a cop at the entire NPM ecosystem, than <laughs> actual front end. So I'm not blaming you. Is it a cough or a scoff? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So some of those services, those deployments, tended to be a bit um, unreliable, and what we would end up is a kind of half half-migrated um, production instance yeah. um, because even though we'd sort of got it deployed to staging, that was a whole new NPM install basically, a whole new yarn install, a whole new etc. Um, mm. And that would put us in a pretty pretty hairy situation yeah. um, where things would yeah, so, so very rapidly start breaking. Um yeah, that's a big one for us. Anyone else? BJ must have some capstone drawbacks. I mean, one of the other big, big problems is that you've got to kind of maintain all the actual 
called sort of language dependencies on those servers. Yeah. So you've got to make sure Node is the version of Node that you expect on those servers. If, if you're installing a JavaScript app, and and if you have staging, you've got to make sure that. Well, how do you deal with the fact that you need to upgrade them and keep keep that everything in in sync between them? That's an yeah. that's sort of an additional task that you have to do. That was all I had extra as well. Mm. And then the actual deployment time, I guess, is quite elongated because you're doing all that um, on the fly, and and sometimes if you're you're doing what we were doing and, and doing the whole install, sometimes maybe even a compilation. That's also going to take away some of the, the processing power from your app, which is running on the same server as well. Yeah. Because Capistrano, I, I'm guessing it was the standard, did this kind of... The very last thing in your deployment, it would switch over your virtual host to the new... Yeah. Pointed at the new, fresh directory yeah. that it had pulled down. Yeah, that's um, right. So that wasn't particularly fun. Either. like tablecloth on the uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. still still stays done. Yeah, I mean that. Yeah, I think we, we we've probably done a little bit of this in the past as well. I mean, but I guess like how so our next well, at least we we're using a very specific example here maybe to kind of frame our discussion. And again, it doesn't necessarily apply to everybody, but we we went down a route of trying to solve that with, and I'm going to try and sound smart by throwing out acronyms like AMIs and. Mm-hmm. as a way of making me sound like I know more than I actually do but these the, that that was our next kind of approach to maybe try and stabilise that deployment process wasn't it and we I guess we don't have to talk about it too much because we want to talk about some of the more meatier stuff that uh, Vija has been working on but yeah how did we go about moving what was our next kind of yeah, so a couple of tools really um, solved this for us, and the main one was Packer. Um, we had to change a little bit of, of how our application worked to make sure everything um, was configurable with environment variables, which we could kind of drop in. Um, but Packer essentially allows uh, you to quite easily create um, Amazon machine images, AMIs, um, with your code already baked in, ready to go. So you essentially, we, we move the same AMI through our testing staging eventually to our production environment, um, which means that we're not doing that same sort of install many times. And if, if anything failed, it would fail uh, away yeah. from anything that's running in production. Yeah, I guess it'd be fed up the pipeline, and you'd be able, you'd be able to catch it before yeah, it got fails, close. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It fails where where we want want it to fail, which yeah. is nowhere near um, <laughs> our real sort of production live site. Yeah. So I, I mean, I was gonna. We talked a little bit about like deployment there. Does obviously we talked a bit about Capistrano before, kind of. Pulls the rug uh, a little bit. Um, we had some benefits, didn't we, when when we actually moved over to Terraform and Packer, and that we could do sort of more akin to like rolling deployments. Couldn't we? Is that right? Am I um, right in saying that? A bit less downtime between deployments. Yeah, so um, this was quite interesting actually, because with Capistrano, we could uh, it could do that vhost switch relatively easily for a static site or a PHP project. But I wonder what it would do with something like a Node or a Ruby application where it's one continuous process. process yeah. Presumably, there would be some downtime with that. 
Yeah. Because it must have to shut down the first process, put yeah. up the second process. I think it's a fair say that we've kind of strata. Oh, I guess that kind of, you were, you were deployed to one um, instance. instance. Mm. And our new strategy now is so that, well, basically we would spin up another instance with that environment and then move people over. Yeah. Uh, to kind of isolate them. That environment yeah, yeah, and that, that, that brings up um, an interesting uh, sort of thing that you didn't have to worry about before, which is, yeah, how do you sort of route traffic yeah. between the two, yeah. whereas previously that's a non-issue. We essentially go with load balancers, AWS load balancers, um, and we use Terraform, although you could use cloud, uh, cloud, cloud, formation. cloud formation, which we used to use once upon a time. To uh, sort of orchestrate the um, a sort of new auto scaling group coming up containing instances and then uh, draining the previous one and, and slowly moving traffic over that way. Um, and I said earlier I'd heard of a metaphor which it was like, which no one else had heard of, so it made me think I'd conjured it up in a dream or something. But I believe it's, it's like you treat your servers more like. Um, like cattle rather than pets, that's the metaphor I heard, in that your pets on the Capistrano sort of version and you keep them alive forever. Or especially if pre-AWS, when you would literally rent out a virtual so, server, that really was, you did have it forever and you'd go in and install everything and update it that way. Yeah. Whereas with AWS, now we sort of have these immutable baked images that contain different versions of our application and the actual servers themselves are pretty expendable. We can spin them up, tear them down. We're not that worried. Um, we've got everything saved sort of somewhere else. Yeah. And this is, seems to be a much more sort of powerful paradigm um, to keep everything sort of in sync and moving nicely together. Does that mean that in theory you could you could kind of go back in time if you wanted to, if you kept all your... AMIs over time, you could you could totally you could do that. I mean, on the server from a year ago, like, and see. I quite like that, especially in the metaphor <coughs> of the cattle, because it means that the cattle aren't dying. Just, <laughs> yeah, 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 farm upstate somewhere where they can live out their lives. <laughs> you totally can do that, um, except for probably if you're going back to how your application was three years ago, or over a prolonged period of time, your infrastructure will have also changed. Um, now that's where something like uh, cloud. <laughs> Formation <laughs> and Terraform are really nice because yeah. you essentially also have your infrastructure as configuration yeah. in your repository. So you really could go back in in time if you wanted to. If we could, until from when we started adding that um, Packer and Terraform in, we could. I could go back in our oh. Git <laughs> repository and build a yeah. put build up the eight infrastructure to how it was then and build a pack of AMI and we could see what it was like two, three years ago. Yeah. If we were really bored. Or <laughs> <laughs> um, really attached to a particular particular nostalgia. Three point two four was the best classic <laughs> version. Um, yeah, and that 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 sort of is how we've been ticking along uh, relatively pain free yeah. for 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 a little while, but changes on the horizon. <laughs> I think like this this would benefit at least anybody listening to the context. Of, this is not exclusive to to Olympic Marcus project, but it's very much kind of framed in that, and that we have a a, 
big platform that people can trade um, precious metals derivatives on and you know we need to people are on that continuously so that we need to keep that up as as much as possible um, and deploy to it as frequently as possible and as fast as possible uh, so these are some of our sort of concerns and concept of that project just kind of what's driving some of our our changes um, that's not the only project that we work on I'm going to discuss some of the others as well but I guess where we were aiming to go here is our we have spent quite a bit of time looking at ways to improve what we have right now, which is sort of framed in what Eddie sort of summarised a bit there. Um, so what, what, what do we feel like were some of these shortcomings that we were trying to address moving to what we'll talk about a bit later, which was... Uh, Spoilers. Yeah. <laughs> the big blue whale. Big blue whale. So I think like yeah, I mean what what because I think some of the issues that we had with deployment, especially, was that you know the the cycle that it went down. Um, our local environments were a little bit out of sync with some of the AMI stuff as well because we couldn't sort of. We had, uh, yeah, we had yeah. a yeah. file. I mean, Packer isn't yeah. the. It's a very good step in the right direction, but it's not the holy grail for a for start. It takes a long time. I don't know if you've ever booted up uh, an AMI on on AWS. But, I mean, it depends what your, de- like, yeah. perspective of a long time is, but you're talking a couple of minutes to take it up, a couple of minutes to put it down, some minutes to drag, uh, put all the application files on there, and then snapshot it. Like, that's that's definitely a, one yeah. of the problems. Yeah. Um, so, one of the actual... Oh, I can't say this. <laughs> go on, you, sorry, go, on go on, I know you can. <laughs> <laughs> It doesn't lead on from what you guys were talking about, but um, it doesn't matter. Okay. So, can I talk about? Can I actually say the word now? Oh yes. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. So, entering Docker. Hey! Great segue. <laughs> I was going to make a whale noise then. No, really. <laughs> I think you should try. <laughs> 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 now we're going to blow hole up here. Sorry, AJ. So, basically. <laughs> Basically, one of the biggest problems Docker solves is running multiple services on the same kind of instance in the, op- yeah. in the same operating environment. So if you have different version of P- different versions of PHP spread across our services, then if you upgrade one of them, might one of them might not be compatible with the newer yeah. version, and that yes. the same node and so on. So well, I think that's a very key point because in the context of one of our projects, we had two. Sort of services, and they were they one of them for a period needed to be on a certain version of the node because yeah. it depends on that, and then somebody else. So yeah, we yeah, that's <laughs> definitely pretty valid. Yeah, so probably one of the biggest areas we had that kind of mixture of requirements was our internal kind of services. Yeah, and so I think we have about twenty eight services there internally, mm, both yeah. testing and production environments, and so running all of those in our sh- kind of shared internal hosting on EC2 was a bit of a pain as we normally work on one internal service and upgrade that in the most recent version of say PHP and Symfony mm. and then we'd realize we have to upgrade all of the other versions yeah. of our services to the most recent. And so Docker, in a way, kind of helps us isolate those environments whilst still running them on the same instance, 
which is a really great thing that it does for us. Massively cost efficient as well. Yeah. So yeah, so yeah, we managed, we managed to save. Um, I think how much was this? Before. I mean, I shudder to think how much we've, we've saved from some of the UVD stuff. Cause yeah. we're, we're, I think uh, it was around $400 a month. Yeah. And now it's about $80 a month, which is Because wow. as a digital agency, you get into a weird sort of dilemma, really. You've got kind of, a lot of clients want us to sort of host some of the, their, their things, yeah. or, or we just have a lot of, of different bits and pieces. And you sort of would feel conflicted, I guess, about putting multiple clients' work sort of on the same instance. At least I would. I would feel like yeah. you would want a kind of level of isolation between them. Yeah, yeah. They think it was particularly more of a modern environment. Yeah, you're going to... You don't want it to affect anything else. Yeah. yeah. Docker definitely gives you gives you that. Um, like, I, I feel, although, like, technically they would still be on the same virtual machine in yeah. the cloud... There is a clear, well, the containers that are, that are on them that are hosting each sort of uh, boundary of this, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Sort of, I would feel okay with that, I think. That would be an okay. It's, it's kind of like an, another layer of virtual machinism, yeah. in a sense. Yeah, I was going to say that. Um, which is quite nice to have. And especially when they, you can spin them up so quickly, pull them down. That sort of thing. Yeah, well, 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 well nice. maybe speak to that a little bit because I was just saying um, how Packer yeah. was well, it was uh, one of the biggest bottlenecks in our in our yeah, continuous integration pipeline was just trying to build these new AMIs. I think it took maybe twenty minutes per per go, and yeah. that doesn't sound like much, but. If you're trying to deploy multiple times a day, or or you do have a sort of show-stopping bug that you need to get fixed, yeah. it can almost be excruciating watching that little, <laughs> little thing not move. Turn away. Yeah. yeah. Um, so what what is how does that work with with Docker? I mean, how quickly can I make a new my equivalent of an AMI a container? How quickly can I deploy that? Is it quicker? Um, yes, it's much much quicker in a sense. So. You can always build them locally and on your faster machine instead of on EC2, which is quite nice to do. Mm-hmm. And then every time you rebuild, it actually caches each kind of individual layer inside this image. Yeah. Um, so it will only ever rebuild things that have changed, which is a really nice thing yeah. to have. I totally nice. do not understand how that works. <laughs> it's so bizarre. Mm. Like, I don't... I, it's you just really... <laughs> <laughs> so it, it takes... So in every kind of build step of the image, it takes a kind of hash of the final image in that step. Then at the end, it, it takes kind of, a hash of it? It takes a hash of all of them. Kind of similar to how kind of Git works. Um, it's quite nice to do. I think it's still this... Do you... Sh- they don't use SHA-1 anymore, but when they first started, they started using SHA-1s. Um, so yeah, it's kind of like Git, but for your builds, I guess, in a way. Um, don't, don't quote me on that, though. <laughs> yeah. So, so let's say it's all built now. Um, another aspect, I mean, when we bake AMIs with Packer, it does take, take a while, but then when we're deploying them too, the actual spinning down and spinning yeah. up of whole virtual machines on a, on a EC2 instances, that's not fast either. I mean, it's all relative to how fast you think it will be, but that, that is not a particularly quick process. So does, does that mean that you can just leave the server there as it is and sort of spin up new Docker containers just on that server as you, as you go, or do you still take down? 
Um, so yeah, well, you're you know better fielding I mean, it to me. So right now, I guess I've kind of gone back more towards a pet metaphor, but we still aim to kind of do the whole cattle kind of thing. So you don't actually interact with your pets directly. Um, you tend, you'll tend to rely on some kind of container orchestrator like ECS. I would say it's even ETC. more like a cattle thing, just because they're, those servers yeah. don't die. You're not kind of treating them, you're not giving them special treatment. Yeah, they can exactly. kind of go and come. Yeah, um, but then you, you never really. Okay. Yeah, they're just, not personal to you. No. You, wouldn't, you wouldn't give them a. It's just you don't normally change them during a deployment, as which is what we do now mm-hmm. in that sense. But but yeah, otherwise they are pretty much expendable. Or, well, more replaceable rather than expendable. So need your resources. Mm-hmm. Um, so going back to the kind of deployment speed side of things, I think yeah. we've, before when we were switching over autoscaling groups, they used to take about 10 minutes to spin up holding autoscaling group, then put that into the target group and switch the open answer over. That would take quite a lot of time, especially when we're trying to fix a show-stopping bug, yeah, yeah. as we've done in the past. Um, never, never. <laughs> <laughs> no, <I'm laughs> we don't need it. With Docker, it, it will still reuse those instances, which is why I kind of push towards the kind of pet side slightly. Mm-hmm. Um, but it will, your, your container orchestrator will pull down the newer images from a container repository, which um, Amazon has ECR, or there's a public one called Docker Hub. Mm-hmm. And then your container orchestrator will literally just start the new containers that is pulled down and stop the old ones for a nice rolling deployment. Mm-hmm. You, man- you mentioned um, ECR. EC. Wait, which which one is the registry? Yeah, ECR. Yeah, is the registry. ECR is the registry. Yes. Okay. So that's that's, so that's where you store your containers. Yeah. And then we've used ECS. Yep. Which is Elastic Container Service. And what's that? That is Amazon's kind of bespoke and I've forgotten the words for um, non open source software. Proprietary. Proprietary, <laughs> Proprietary. <laughs> um, cluster orchestration system, um, which they kind of built a few years ago now, I imagine, to kind of compete with this kind of huge market of container orchestrators. So what are yeah what are, what are, what are so the com- alternatives yeah. to that because that hasn't always been the right choice for us no right? no, no, no. It hasn't. Um, so a few years ago this kind of massive market a few big companies started in it so Google kind of led with Kubernetes and they would have I think they would have, they were the first people to offer kind of a managed container orchestration solution mm-hmm. um, had some holes in wasn't too happy using it. Personally, um, then I remember using a piece of tooling called Tutum. Um, Tutum. Yeah. It's T U T U M, and that was then bought by Docker and turned into Docker Cloud a couple of years ago. Docker Cloud. And so that that one was the first kind of orchestration system that I liked to use. <laughs> Um, it's very similar to how you'd work in development as you'd use kind of Docker Compose files to specify your services mm-hmm. and deploy them onto an instance. And what about Docker Swarm? That definitely rings a big Yeah, so Docker Swarm was started by Docker themselves. Yeah, that was um, their answer they to Kubernetes, was it? Or um, equivalent? I, I, I wouldn't say it was a, an equivalent entirely as it wasn't 
has fully kitted out. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it was more of a kind of starting point for deploying services. Yeah. Um, it did miss quite a few features like um, an interface to actually deploy to. Um, you normally have to kind of SSH into your instances, into your pets, and then... Well, then they're very much yeah, pets. Uh, that definitely very, yeah. makes them pets. So they're <laughs> kind of going to, a, in an individual basis. No, it's, it's a, so, I mean, from someone standing on the sort of sidelines, it feels like a very rapidly changing yeah. landscape and, like, from what I understand, the arms war of, like... <laughs> <laughs> Docker container orchestration is sort of space over. There's, there's smoke in the air, yeah. smell of uh, gunpowder, but there is a winner and that is Kubernetes. Is that right? Yes, yes it is. It's, it's still not entirely won yet, but everyone's kind of jumping on Kubernetes kind of course right now. What do you think? Um, what do you think? That it, I guess this might help me a little bit, kind of understand what some of the, the, the benefits of one or the other are. What is it about Kubernetes that you feel like has kind of edged it ahead in terms of what it can do, or this, or maybe adoption? I don't know. Back. Yeah, I'd, I'd say it's more to do with the backers and the amount of contributors to a project um, and how much it has kind of gained in the past couple of years. Um, there's this. I've, used, I've tried out so many. I tried out um, HashCorp's Nomad. That was that's quite new, and that's not. So they're the uh, people that made Packer and Terraform. Yeah, yeah, and they're pretty good DevOps people. <laughs> yeah, they're good. Um, they're good. <laughs> they're good we're, stuff. we're just using all of their stuff. <laughs> yeah, um, and that's that's not meant as a, as a direct competitor to Kubernetes, but it's for still running containers at scale. Um, but you still kind of have to do everything else as part of your kind of workflow for deployment um, like where do you send your logs how do you do alerting that sort of that kind of thing um, there's also Rancher which was actually one of the nicest ones to use um, but that to me felt a bit snowflakey um, kind of akin to our experience with Jenkins um, you got to explain the political thing um there was there was can I ask if you, I don't want to derail you a little bit but in terms of like um, container orchestration we talked a little bit about the benefits of, of, of Docker being able to kind of create containers mm-hmm. and sort of separate services the, the, the concept of a container and orchestrating them together what is that for you touched on role and deployments as well so I guess like in terms of what role Kubernetes is fulfilling in, con- in the context of a project what is it what is it trying to do? Um, I, I guess as an in, it's, it's it's more about the infrastructure side, so you wouldn't kind of see like project features come out of it in that sense. Um, but it's 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 more about kind of using your resources more efficiently. So yeah. like before, whenever we want to scale a service, yeah. we would, for example, on our shared infrastructure, we would scale all twenty eight of yeah, them exactly, at the same exactly, time. Yeah. Um, with kind of container clustering, you can spread your resources over multiple instances and then your containers will be spread as well they'll, they'll share those resources and you'll be able to scale individual services yeah um word completely for that um so they'll say so you can have like 10 production 
Well, I guess websites. It, yeah, yeah. 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 exactly. Putting it in an example, yeah, I mean, you might be able to elaborate on this a little bit more, but say if you had like, if one of your services came under quite a bit of demand, yeah, like a microservice, for instance, you could scale you just, that just that microservice up to handle that demand, whereas some of your other services could potentially not, <laughs> not, 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 not be affected. And I guess it has cost uh, associations and, and, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that that is pretty powerful in itself. I mean, that... You've obviously got to design your application in a way that you've, you've split it into these services in the first place. And yeah. A lot of times that's not the best decision anyway. I mean, the whole microservice debate seems from, from my, um, my perspective to have gone a little bit full circle into people sort of preaching cautiousness um, around it and waiting until things become a problem before splitting it out. But the fact is, if you are Google, who made Kubernetes, and that I think maybe has contributed to this, to its success to a certain extent, because they've been using and homing Kubernetes in the, in the background for Google services for yeah. quite some time. And you you are obviously in microservices because you're Google, and you 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 really would have the ability to really fine tune things. You know, maybe some people don't need that level of granularity. Most people, but if you if you do, then <laughs> I mean this this example isn't going to make isn't isn't true. But you could say, oh, more people are hitting our Google geolocation service, so we'll pump some more geolocation service containers on something along those sort of lines they'll be able to sort of finally balance and also react to um, I don't know things you can quite easily react to sort of external changes if, if some news announcement happens that, yeah, is, that, is that more in relation to Docker itself or just Kubernetes or is it a mixture of the two I'm just like I'm interested in saying what you said there about like if you've got lots of microservices, like it's really appropriate to use it. Um, if you didn't have those, say you had a load of uh, marketing websites or something. Say you were a company, an agency that just made marketing websites, but you wanted to um, change your infrastructure. You were using, say, you were even using something like FTP or, or Capistrano, mm -hmm. and you wanted to move over. Does is Docker still appropriate for that? Do you think? With, I mean, you might not use Kubernetes, but. Well, like, I guess it depends on how many marketing sites you have. Like, the example I gave earlier, like, say we have 28 microservices, well, not microservices, we have 28 kind of sites that we serve to the public. Mm. Um, we can't run those on 28 servers. We'd have a huge, huge, <laughs> have a huge kind of monthly bill. Yeah, massive. Um, massive bill. So, so it could be a good investment for a company like that to drastically yeah. reduce if they're doing something like that now and they've got, you know, servers for every... Yeah, every site that they make. Yeah, I mean, but I do think it's worth mentioning at least with Kubernetes, maybe not so much with ECS. Yeah. But this does not come for free. Like, no. it's a lot of learning. It's very difficult. It's moving very, very fast. It's complex because it's sort of changing so rapidly is half of the yeah. battle. And, and, and in two years' time, three years' time, things may be simpler and the stuff that you've done today may be slightly redundant. I mean, yeah. that's just one of the yeah. sort of caveats to to go with it because that's all done that use case thinking. actually sounds pretty suited. Um, <laughs> but yeah. will it sound suited or will it even make economic sense after you sort of spend 
six months, a year, solidly trying to get your head around some quite complex concepts that include things like networking and file systems and all of these things on on top. Um, yeah. I think it'd be maybe maybe interesting to go back to some of the benefits of of, of Docker, Docker and maybe in development because there's there's a huge uh, amount of people that 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 are sort of picking up Docker, but just for their local development and then deploying in the more traditional route, mm. which I've done myself and is is pretty nice way of being able to add and take away things as your sort of whole idea of your app when the structure is in flux. It, it what takes takes seconds to say, well, now I need a database, here's MySQL, or say, yeah, exactly. oh, I don't actually like MySQL, I'll change that to Postgres. That's just kind of the, the sort of Docker flexibility. Mm. Yeah. And I don't, I don't have a tremendous amount of exposure, but one thing I've, I think I've observed, I could be wrong, is that this, this idea that sort of images are, are being shared, like these contents, you can actually pull down somebody's yeah. already exactly. set up kind of environment, you kind of, I want this, and it's like, oh, I don't know, you don't know, just use that bosh. It's, yeah, it's sort of in there. That sounds great. And you've potentially—I don't think I'm spoiling this. You haven't done it yet, but like <laughs> you've potentially tried to contribute to that uh, sort of ecosystem a little bit as well. I mean, some, some. Oh, well, that was your idea. Uh, oh yeah, that's what I've done with. Um, <laughs> done It's with uh, the tooling for Kubernetes. Um, so there's Helm, which is a kind of release manager for, well, kind of packaging release manager for services you run on Kubernetes. Um, don't go too deep into that. Uh, it does also kubectl commands, and there was COPS, which is what we were using to spin up a Kubernetes cluster. Um, then kind of going into the more deeper parts of Kubernetes, there were there was FluentD, which we were using for logging. I feel like this is way too deep right <laughs> yeah, now. Yeah, I mean, this gives it's a pretty good perspective on <laughs> yeah. just how deep the rabbit hole goes. Yeah. Yeah. It could be quite easy, in my experience, to get sort of started it's with some of this stuff, and then down. it's the sort of the last 10% that yeah. you find, like, oh, I'll just now add logging in and alarms and stuff, and you, uh, you've just opened up Pandora's box of yeah. options and, and complications as well, so... Again, I, yeah, I imagine this will down. smooth out as, yeah. as as time goes on. But at the moment, you're kind of, well, you especially, VJ, you're a bit of a pioneer when it comes to this stuff. I, I think um, not many people are going doing um, doing this at the moment. They're waiting to sort of see how, how, how things settle down yeah. a bit. And, uh, mm. yeah, it's... Because I think that, that raises a good point. I think, I think one of the things that we've kind of encountered in trying to push through this... Um, new sort of infrastructure strategies is that we've hit a bit of a point where it's we felt like it's become a little bit too much for a team of our size to yeah, to manage, exactly. and we've had to consider sort of managed solutions, which I've lost track of a little bit. I've talked about them in any particular detail, but we no, have we been exploring. No, we haven't. We've sort of been exploring. Well, how how can we, given that there's all this new amazing stuff, how can we maybe lift some of that burden? off of ourselves so we can focus on like the core technologies and not some of the minutiae and we've looked at a couple of a couple of horses a couple of managed so no um, you I, definitely have yeah, open like, shift I have the names in my head but I haven't I wouldn't say I've looked at them in depth um, so I, I can only say from what I've seen from the outside yeah. um, 
So obviously, I mentioned earlier, Google Google run their own kind of managed Kubernetes on their own Google Cloud platform. Yeah. Um, I haven't tried that in a few years, so that's probably. I imagine that's probably one of your best bets for yeah. running Kubernetes. I've definitely heard good things, um, especially when it's completely managed for you and it's, inter- it's integrated very well with their Google Cloud platform as well. Um, the other alternatives we have are if you want to run on AWS or even pay someone else to run on AWS are Tectonic, which is ran by CoreOS. And so CoreOS kind of actually started from, actually was started from when containers started becoming big. And so their company is quite new and they were very on top of making sure you ran containers stably. And so they have like three branches of their operating system. And so their operating system is is completely immutable. So you can't change anything on it. It just comes pre-installed with Docker and some other kind of tooling that you need to to, to create a cluster. Um, I don't know where I'm going with that. What's the question again? <laughs> you were talking about managed solutions and you were saying like Tectonic, Google. Oh yeah, so Tectonic. Yeah, Tectonic. It's got a good name. <laughs> Back to Tectonic. Um, so Tectonic, well, CoreWest, Cor- well, Tectonic was going to be a really good place to start down recently. Um, but I've read that CoreOS have actually been acquired by Red Hat, the makers of CentOS and the kind of enterprise Linux people. And they actually own OpenShift, which is Tectonic's direct competitor. Right. So right now I'd con- probably consider checking out OpenShift as more of a, pr- a priority to Tectonic, as Tectonic may get deprecated in a few years. Um, that, that's always a risk that you take kind of going for yeah, these solutions. Yeah, like um, Docker, like Toot, like Toot and doesn't exist anymore. Docker Cloud is closing. Swarm. Docker Swarm, yeah, Docker Swarm, I think exists, but it's not. Well, it's not yeah, I mean, that was the official Docker one, and they're yeah. definitely now they've, they've embraced Kubernetes. Yeah, so it does exactly. show you, like, <laughs> Unless you're really, really it's committed, it might, it may yeah. be worth, in yeah, all honesty, just, just, just holding off a little yeah. bit. Because, yeah. you know, no one, some people, some very strange people might, but no one really likes to learn, spend a good deal of their <laughs> free time or, or, or even pay time learning obsolete APIs and technologies. Yeah, exactly. No, definitely not. Um, but... If you were to pick one now, Kubernetes is is the one. We've, we can pretty yeah. much say that with confidence, at least at least. <laughs> it is one of current. This is one. Yeah, this is a nice little segue. I think we're coming up on on sort of our, our time a little bit, um, and I think it might be nice, based on reflecting on what what we've learned over the past few years, what sort of as things stand right now, and what you've learned, PJ in particular, but anyone, I guess, what. What recommendations would you make to anybody who's coming into this kind of Docker, Kubernetes landscape at the moment? You talked about recommending yeah. potential things to, 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 to focus on and look at in particular. Well, it depends on your projects and your company resources as well. So if your project's small and if you're expecting, I guess, well, it depends like on your project's requirements. So with with ECS, there is a kind of 
um, you don't always have to. There's there's a bit of an unreliability, so like there might be some downtime, but yeah, it's not. If if if, if your project can survive that, then it's fine. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I mean, like some of our services, we don't need to be running hundred percent. 24-7. Yeah, a few um, seconds here or there, yeah, it's not the exactly. end of the world. Um, one, one other thing I actually completely forgot about with the whole kind of container orchestration is that you'll see with like Amazon, they only off, they offer like 99.9% availability mm. with these kind of clusters of instances. You can have clusters in different availability zones or even different cloud providers. Like you have clusters, or clusters in Google, clusters in AWS. And then you kind of get this whole kind of hybrid cluster or container orchestration mm-hmm. system, which kind of which should give you 100% reliability. This is like a world power cut of some yeah. form. You're talking about which you're, is you're talking about a website which is yeah. <laughs> God, you are talking yeah. about Facebook levels of stuff. Of stuff, yeah. Um, but if but if you're much smaller like us, <laughs> um, <laughs> one day, one day. <laughs> <laughs> kind of grow, um, but, um, <laughs> uh, it really depends on your projects. So, for your projects, um, if they need, there is one kind of gap in ECS that doesn't offer service discovery. So, if you launch containers in the same kind of cluster, they won't be able to find each other. Um, oh. <laughs> oh, it's just cats. Oh, yeah, they just, they just can't see each other. It's your and, pet. Yeah. <laughs> and 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 so they can't. Um, they won't be able to communicate with each other. Uh, so if you like spinning like a MySQL database and a PHP service, your PHP service won't be able to communicate with that database. Um, we've overcome that with a kind of piece of software called WeaveNet. Um, it's still not the most kind of. It's not the best solution, but it's. Sorry, I just enjoyed that. We've overcome that. That wasn't even planned. That's basically like my knowledge of it. When when you introduced me to weave there, I just went, "Oh, wait, just tell me what to do." <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It's too much for my small yeah, brain. So... <laughs> and that just again illustrates how many different parts yeah, you're. Exactly. If you want to do this seriously, yeah. you will have to yeah. sort of pick up. Whereas in local development, I would recommend it's really easy. Yeah. Dock compose. Docker and local you just define a file in YAML with your services. They're all straight off Docker Hub, and away you go. Just be aware that That's moving that into a more production environment is mm. not is always as straight. Yeah. <laughs> well, if you do, yeah, it depends. It depends. If you want it yeah. that kind of minimalist way, you can get it up there pretty quick on on ECS or something. But if you yeah. want to do this for real with monitoring, logging, all the bells and whistles that go with that, you may find yourself in a bit of a pickle. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's my summary. That's just a guess. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Just assuming that people might have trouble at all. running now. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I'll try and sell. (laughs) (laughs) Well, on that. Yeah, unless there's any closing thoughts. I think we can. Um, I mean, I could talk some more about. Of course you can. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> now he's stuck. He's like, where you going? We all drop off all that. I've only got 190 hours and 16 minutes of space left on the so, uh, 
Should we do that thing at a restaurant where you all leave one bone? Yeah, I think this has been quite a nice sort of overview. I think one thing that's become quite apparent is that there's just loads of this. I think our idea here was to at least start a conversation around reflecting on what what we've learned and trying to move one of our projects and and different projects have different priorities, but one particular project through. And I think it was an opportunity to discuss some of these things in a little bit more detail. Um, yeah, in the future, there are some blog posts planned. For yes, we this, yeah, that's a good yeah. little good little pitch. You can do the okay. Anybody who who's made it this far uh, <laughs> is interested in, in we will obviously be publishing some stuff on the EVD blog. Uh, or VJ will be security next. <laughs> uh, some stuff for security. So security could be another. Now that we've got them wound up, we yes. can get VJ on the uh, on our security podcast next, which. <laughs> We've got a separate one. So lock and the key by UVD. Um, yeah, or Elixir fans. We'll pull a post on there. Are we now, uh, are we now vlogging, our, <laughs> vlogging our social media page? I'm doing contract work. Yeah. We actually get rewarded by for who gets the most hits on their blog uh, each month. So, uh, introducing Elixir to the big markets. <laughs> Or it's UVD.co.uk. It's that's well. Alright, so we, as we descend into a bit of uh, anarchy here, we'll, uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll finish. So that's uh, goodbye from me and goodbye. 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 Until next time.